Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I want to be a part of it. New York, New York. Home sweet home, baby. Listen, I may be living in New Jersey right now, but I'll always be a New Yorker. You can take the guy out of New York, but you can't take New York out of the guy. How you doing? Today, I'm going to bring you a buffet of ghost stories and lore from the place I call home. So, do you believe in ghosts? Join me on the journey through America's dark and haunted past as we explore the folklore and ghost stories that have been passed down for generations. What scares you? Let's find out. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. A soldier's ghost searches for his missing head. A reclusive spirit lingers in a building frozen in time. And a mysterious presence appears at a Brooklyn home's door. There is a long history of supernatural lore associated with New York State and the city that bears its name. Here are a few local ghost stories that you may not know about in anticipation for tomorrow. Halloween, baby. At least one member of the Treadwell family still occupies the house at 29 East 4th Street near Washington Square Park, nearly a century after it was built. It is said that Gertrude Treadwell's ghost roams the house since she died there in 1933 in the same bed 
she was born in. Anthony Belov, a board member of the Merchant's House Museum, which occupies the house and preserves it as a testament to the Treadwells and their era, says one of the first sightings occurred just weeks after her death. It was hot. People were on the stoops, people were along the fire escapes, said Mr. Belov. In an instant, a woman in a long brown dress rushed out onto the stoop of the house, chasing the children away from the house, and scores of people immediately recognized her as Gertrude. In 1953, a woman named Florence Helm described several mysterious experiences she had at the museum, which opened three years after Gertrude's death. In 1953, she told the New York Times that she saw a silk tassel spin around as though it were being twirled with playful intent. Other times, she heard constant tapping on the wall. It was like a telegraphic code, which I can't read, she said. The couple who took over her duties reported hearing the knocking as well. It has been reported that visitors have seen Gertrude at various stages of her life. It has been reported that visitors have seen Gertrude at various stages of her life. Most describe her wearing a long brown taffeta gown, but that description does not match any of the 40 gowns that belong to her that the museum has. In addition to Gertrude, museum workers and guests have reported seeing spirits of her servants and family members. When a door to a servant's chamber opened during a museum tour, one of the guides saw a woman who was clearly not of this time and place. Their eyes met and they both jumped. Five years after Seabury Treadwell, Seabury, that's a name that you don't hear any, that's a name I didn't hear ever, but it would be one that I wouldn't mind coming back. I could have a drink, a little drink of buddy. Ah, where are you going tonight? Nah, I'm going to go out with Seabury. Ah, oh, that's awesome. If I have a son, I apologize now. It's going to take a lot of convincing to get the name Seabury. Old Seabury Feinstein's coming down the block. Oh, man, what a great name. Like I was saying, Seabury Treadwell. See how I get so distracted? Seabury Treadwell, who was Gertrude's father, retired from a successful career in the hardware business. And he worked in, and he worked in hardware. Oh, man, this was a salty old guy. Yeah, I'm going to go buy my nails from Seabury. Him and his wife, Eliza, had Gertrude, who was their eighth child. According to legend, Seabury prevented Gertrude from marrying her true love, so she remained in the house, even as her family members left over the years. By 1909, she was the last Treadwell still living in the house, which she made a few changes over time. Aging and weak, she rarely left the house in the final years before she died there poor and alone. There is no sign of malevolence from the Treadwell ghost, despite that sad ending. The ghosts are quite friendly and not menacing at all. Mr. Belov said that when he enters or exits the house, he always greets them and says goodbye. A few weeks before Christmas in 1878, Edward F. Smith was at his house at 136 Clinton Avenue in Brooklyn when the doorbell rang. The ringing continued throughout the night and soon was joined by a violent banging at the back door. But Smith couldn't figure out who had rung it. Smith opened the door, but he didn't find anybody outside. Initially, Smith enlisted the help of family, but even with people stationed throughout the house and in the yard, they couldn't pinpoint the reason for this commotion. As he approached his door, he sprinkled ash and flour on the path, expecting to find footprints left behind. But the substances didn't seem disturbed, and the noises persisted. A police captain and a detective visited the house one night. 
but weren't able to figure out what was going on. So they returned the next night with reinforcements. A brick flew through the dining window that night. The brick could only have been thrown from a path near the house, but officers stationed outside said they didn't see or hear anybody. There was no evidence of hidden wires or anything else that might help solve the mystery of this house, according to the police. The Times reporter wrote that he personally ventured out into the house, whistling up the courage, she said, but discovered only a small, curious crowd gathered outside. As Smith himself admits, he was skeptical at first. But after weeks of torment, he could not think of any other explanation. And aside from that initial story, there's not much more information about the house on Clinton Avenue. But it didn't take much more to convince Smith that the invisible cause of the phenomena that was haunting him was none other than Satan himself. According to the folklore expert Lewis C. Jones, the legend of the headless soldier haunting old Fort Niagara, north of Buffalo, dates back to the founding of our nation. Fort Niagara sits on the land that juts out at the point where Lake Ontario and the Niagara River converge. It was founded in 1759 during the French and Indian War. The fort's life had been stressful enough before the British bombarded the French soldiers and their Native American allies for two weeks. Petty jealousness, long controlled irritations, a thousand annoyances emerged with normal fears of battle to make life almost unbearable, Mr. Jones wrote in a 1944 speech before the New York State Historical Association, which he led for a quarter of a century, and the New York Folklore Society's joint session. According to Mr. Jones, two French officers at the fort had fallen in love with a Native American woman, and they decided to settle the matter during the siege. During their fight in the central courtyard, the two fighting soldiers, whom he did not name, caught the attention of those around them, making bright arcs of light with their swords. According to some reports, though, the battle took place in private between a man named Jean-Claude de Rochefort and Henri Leclerc. I can't pronounce the French pronunciations. I'm not even going to attempt. That's the best you can. Ultimately, de Rochefort won and Leclerc lost his head. As the story goes, his body fell into a nearby well or was hidden there deliberately. The ghost of Leclerc is said to emerge from the well periodically to search for his missing head. Some of the most sensational ghost stories can be lost from time to time. And sometimes there's good reason for that. During the 1860s, New York City became wild with interest about a thing known as the 27th Street Goblin. There had been vague rumors about a ghost for years, but two women discovered its existence after moving into a home on the street and waking up to find their furniture rearranged the next morning, despite having locked their windows and doors. Thousands of people thronged the area and fueled the hysteria with entirely new and strictly original stories of what they have claimed to have seen. The craze was actually caused by a lazy police officer, and not a ghost. A few disreputable people moved into the block on 27th Street, causing neighbors to worry to eradicate the unwanted newcomers and the presumed illicit activity in which they had engaged, the existing residents reached out to a police official who agreed to station officers outside their homes at night. The officers dutifully stood guard, but eventually grew weary, whistling at each other and doing jumping jacks to pass the time and to stay warm. One night, however, they found a doorway that was unlocked and that led to an empty house. Before long, they used it for escape from the cold. 
because the officers worked nights, they weren't aware that the house had been rented or a furniture delivery had taken place. After moving some of the furniture in, two members of the family decided to spend the night. Later that evening, one of the officers sneaked through a hatch into the house only to discover the furniture. As soon as he saw the pieces, he decided to use them as couches to sleep on, without wondering why they were there. When the officer was about to finish, he heard a noise and realized that the house now had residents. Fearful of being caught sleeping on the job, he crept out and he kept his mouth shut, leaving the two women to discover the moved furniture the next day and giving birth to the 27th Street Goblin. Hey folks. Oh man, can't believe October's already coming to an end. Halloween's tomorrow, and you know what that means. I promised the conclusion to Zachary Bain, and that will um, happen tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to start a bit of a change here at Haunted American History. My other show, um, The Nightmare Collective, has launched, and that is where you're going to find my fiction stories um, from now on. I mean, as I do folklore, if a story jumps into my head that has to do with that folklore, that folklore inspires, I will include it, but they're not going to be as, you know, long and, um, you know, they're not going to be individual stories. All those stories are going to be on the Nightmare Collective. So, just wanted to give you guys that kind of a heads up, but Haunted American History is going to be here and doing that. Telling the folklore, going state by state. I said next season, after I finish up with the states, I'm going to do a little bit of an international tour and see what else is out there. Yeah, so that's uh, that's what's coming. And uh, it's Halloween. Halloween is tomorrow. And this has been a great October for me. I hope it's been a great October for all of you. And I just wanted to say thank you to everybody. And... Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's keep this momentum going into 2024 and have an even better 2024. I know we still got a couple of months left, but going into the new year with the holidays and the craziness that that has to come, um, I'm probably going to take a little bit of a break. Not like not going to be doing show, but I might just go to like maybe bi-weekly or three episodes a month instead of weekly or twice a week until at least the new year's over anyway thank you everybody again and definitely a big thanks for everyone who went over and checked out uh nightmare collective it's gotten uh it's gotten some pretty good feedback and if you haven't checked it out yet link is in the show notes we have a couple of really good episodes up there and yeah so thank you thank you thank you so much everybody from the bottom of my heart happy halloween i love you guys and I'll see you real soon. Later. Hey, folks. You guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion. It's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. 
I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com haunted. I'll see you there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In New York City, Brooklyn is one of the most vibrant boroughs because of its cobblestone streets and its bustling energy. It's also the birthplace to yours truly and where I spent a majority of my life. Even though I moved to Staten Island when I was 12, I returned to Brooklyn when I was 21 and spent the next 15 years there working. However, underneath its facade lies a hidden world of real ghost stories just waiting to be discovered. Over the years, countless people have witnessed ghosts roaming the streets of Brooklyn, from abandoned houses to haunted buildings. For the next two segments, I'm going to specifically talk about the places I called home, Brooklyn and Staten Island. Many real ghost stories of Brooklyn have captured the imaginations of both locals and visitors ranging from long-lost family members to mysterious hauntings. There are many reasons why people might experience a ghostly encounter in Brooklyn. Some believe it's the area's unique history or lingering energy of past generations. In any case, there's no denying that Brooklyn's ghosts have captured people's hearts and imaginations. Brooklyn is no stranger to ghost stories. It's no stranger to abandoned houses, and that seems to be a popular topic of discussion. Despite the borough's reputation for luxury properties, there are still numerous empty and rundown homes scattered throughout. These neglected buildings have become hotspots for spooky encounters and spectral sightings. People have reported hearing peculiar sounds emanating from within, or catching glimpses of unexplained lights flickering after dark. Whatever the explanation may be, one thing is certain. These abandoned houses hold a mysterious and supernatural energy within its walls, and maybe that's why they remained empty. Brooklyn even has its own Lady in White. Their Lady in White is said to appear on a certain street corner at night, looking forlorn and lost in the middle of the night. One of Brooklyn's most iconic ghost stories. Some say she's looking for a lost lover, and others say she's warning of dangers to come. No matter what the reason, encountering a lady in white is definitely an unforgettable experience, whether you're in the country or in the city. 
A few miles away from the Lady in White's haunt is the infamous Haunting Bridge of Brooklyn. According to local legend, there was an accident there many years ago that resulted in multiple deaths. People have been reporting strange lights and eerie cries coming from the bridge ever since. In addition, some people have felt a chill when walking over the bridge at night, as if something or someone was standing nearby. A ghostly figure known as the Ferryman has been seen along the Brooklyn waterfront as well. It is said that he appears late at night, calling out to people onto a strange boat and rowing them away towards an unknown destination. Those who do not heed his call are cursed with unending misfortune, but those who take the chances are said to be blessed. There are many real ghost stories in Brooklyn for those that believe in the supernatural. It is said that the mysterious fog lingers at night at the old ferry station in Red Hook, where strange whispers and strange noises are heard from the shadows. It has even been reported that red lights are emanating from the sky above the station, as if some unknown force is watching. There have been rumors of strange happenings taking place in Brooklyn Heights for years. There have been reports of strange lights flickering around the neighborhood and eerie whispering among creaking floors and moans. Others report that objects move on their own and visitors are followed by unseen forces. The most infamous ghost story in Brooklyn revolves around the notorious Greenwood Cemetery. It dates back to 1838 and has been said to be filled with restless spirits. From eerie sounds coming from the tombs to sightings of ghostly figures in flowing white robes. It's no wonder this place gives people the chills. There are many ghost stories in Brooklyn, and some are downright endearing. Just a few miles from the heart of Brooklyn is an old theater on 4th Avenue. According to rumors, the theater is haunted by the ghost of a woman who loved it so much in life that she could not leave it behind in death. A faint violin note is heard from time to time, as if played by her spirit, echoing through the halls. Brooklyn's ghost stories vary as much as the borough itself, from tales of specters in forgotten houses to spooky apparitions lurking in dark alleys. There's something for everyone when it comes to these chilling tales, so if you're ever in Brooklyn, Keep your eyes open for the many mysterious ghosts lurking in the shadows. And for some of the best pizza you've ever eaten in your life. The Old Bermuda Inn on Staten Island is one of many haunted places in what is known as the Forgotten Borough. The centuries-old house, which is now a bed and breakfast, restaurant, event venue, and where I held my engagement party, is located at 301 Veterans Road West. The building is haunted and has a very long history. Let's travel back to the 1830s. Staten Island was obviously very different. Vice President to Thomas Jefferson, Aaron Burr, who killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel, settled on Staten Island. He died there in 1836. Just a few years earlier than that, Newlyweds Martha and David Mercero had built a Staten Island mansion as a summer residence. During the Civil War, David served his country. Martha eagerly awaited his return, keeping a candle burning in her bedroom window every night to guide David's ship home safely. In a matter of months, Martha learned that her husband had been killed in battle. Martha became overwhelmed with grief when she realized that her love would not be returning home. As Martha's health deteriorated, she retreated into her bedroom, from which 
she never emerged. It wasn't long before she died, and many believe that she died of a broken heart. In the present day, the historic Old Bermuda Inn is richly adorned with antiques. Although the venue now has additional rooms, the original area still remains intact. Several guests have reported seeing Martha's ghost wandering the dining room and appearing on the stairs. Others have described feeling watched even centuries after Martha had died. Strange noises have been reported, and an oil painting of Martha once caught fire during renovations. The painting still hangs on the first floor hallway with visible burn marks on it. Paranormal reports have also been attributed to Martha, such as the chandelier that won't shut off and a woman whispering, Listen. They say that if you bring a camera into Martha's bedroom and try to record, the camera just stops working. There are four suites in the Old Bermuda Inn, and each is furnished with opulent historical details, and they enjoy modern amenities. I stayed at the bed and breakfast the night of my engagement party with my now wife, then fiancé, and we didn't experience anything out of the ordinary. Now, admittedly, I was almost too drunk to experience life at that point. For all I know, a ghost could have showed us to the room. I will say that the house that makes up the bed and breakfast was empty that night. The only room we had was the only room that was occupied, and we had the whole house to ourselves, and it was kind of creepy. There was definitely a vibe in the air. Now, if that vibe was caused by an entity, or just the knowledge I have of the history of the building, that I can't say. There is a decaying Victorian mansion on Staten Island in the area that is now known as Charleston, but was once called Kreischerville. Arthurkill Road is the street that is named for the mansion, known as the Kreischer House, or as I known it as the Kreischer Mansion, which is believed to be haunted by many. However, although some call it haunted, others, others call it cursed. The mansion isn't just old, decrepit, and eerie-looking. It also has a history that spans roughly 150 years, and it's marked by tragedy on both sides. The mansion at 4500 Arthurkill Road has been the backdrop to not just death, but murders as well. In addition to the haunting stories spawned by the Kersher Mansion's history, it is also interesting. There are plenty of stories of haunted houses and haunted mansions around the country, that go from the range of slightly embellished to mostly embellished. But the history of the Kreischer Mansion, however, is mostly accurate this time around. I think that the crumbling Kreischer Mansion was originally one of two homes built in the waning years of the 19th century. 1885 by some accounts, 1899 according to others. However, I think 1885 is more likely for reasons that will come apparent later. A gift from Balthazar Kreischer to his son, Charles and Edward. In 1880, the two identical homes were designed at his behest. The elder Kreischer had arrived in New York from Germany in 1836 and very quickly became a successful brick manufacturer with a factory on the Lower East Side. However, in the mid-1870s, he moved his brick works to Staten Island. As a result of Kreischer's New York fire brick and Staten Island clay retort works, this region of Staten Island was named Kreischerville in honor of its key figure. The Staten Island Railroad was also founded in 1860 by Kreischer, an early incorporator. 
He built a large Italianate villa for himself in Chrysherville while he was still splitting his time between the city and the island. The mansions for his son and their wives followed a few decades later, built right next to each other as a matched set of mansions. According to the Landmarks Preservation Commission's report designating the home as a landmark site in 1968, the remaining standing mansion was originally a pair of Victorian mansions with stick-style frame construction. The houses were described as profusely decorated and boasted three-story towers, balconies, and projection gables. The whole structure was surrounded by a large veranda with ornate details. The architectural elements included intricate patterns and designs on the towers and balconies, as well as three designs on the gable and its panels. From the outside, it resembled a gingerbread house, while inside there were 15 rooms occupying approximately 3,300 square feet of space, including seven bedrooms. Despite the original intent for all three mansions to house happy families, the joyous atmosphere did not endure. In 1878, Kreischer retired from his brickworks and passed away eight years later at the age of 73. He left behind his two sons, Charles and Edward, as well as five other adult children named Catherine, Caroline, Frederica, George, and Louise. After Kreischer's demise, his estate was split evenly among his heirs. However, according to the New York Tribune's June 9, 1894 issue, George had acquired controlling interest in the brickworks by purchasing shares from several of his sisters. There were rumors circulating that the arrangement had caused a rift between Charles, Edward, and George. However, the family refuted these claims, according to the Tribune. Unfortunately, on June 8, 1894, Edward died by suicide. It should be clarified that he did not pass away inside his house, as many may have heard, but rather on the grounds near the brickworks, as stated by the Tribune. Nevertheless, the news came as a shock to those who were acquainted with him. George did mention that Edward had been complaining about severe headaches for a week prior to his death. At only 41 years old, Edward's passing was untimely and unexpected. As a result of the dates of the death of both father and son, I suspect that Kersher Mansion was constructed in around 1885. If it was built in 1899, neither Balthazar or Edward would have been alive at that time. Despite the fact that it would have been completed after his death, why would we think of it as Edward Kreischer's house if he had never lived there? Eventually, the brickworks closed entirely around 1906, reducing production and closing its doors altogether after only 12 years. During the Great Depression, Balthazar Kreischer's villa and one of his son's mansions were both destroyed by fire, and the other by demolition. As a result, only one remained, the one at 4500 Arthur Kill Road. It is still standing today. Back in 2005, nearly a century after the brickworks closed, a mob murder took place there. Kreischer Mansion was not abandoned throughout the entire 1900s. As earlier mentioned, it was designated a landmark site by New York's Landmarks Preservation Commission in 1968 and was also included in the National Register of Historic Places in 1982. The former owner, listed as Helen Greefield on the NRHP nomination form, remains a bit of a mystery, as there is limited information available about her or her involvement with the mansion. No details have been found regarding when she acquired or sold the property. Although I don't know much about it, I do know that it was briefly run as a restaurant in the late 1990s, and that it may or may not have been a mob front. 
I know the mansion was purchased in around 98 or 99 by a man named Isaac Yamtovian of the Yamtovian Land Development Group, and he has owned it ever since. Yamtovian initially intended to bring the mansion back to its former glory, but it has not gone exactly as planned. In 2008, the Associated Press reported that he had meticulously renovated the home from a rundown white eyesore to an elegant, vibrant Victorian, consistent with its designation as a landmark. However, it continues to be a work in progress. Over the years since purchasing it, Yamtovian has listed and delisted the house for sale multiple times without finding a buyer. After Chrysler Mansion lived a quiet life for most of the 20th century, its most notorious chapter didn't unfold until the early 21st century. Let me give you the breakdown. Back in 2005, Joseph Young, who worked as both groundskeeper and caretaker at Chrysler Mansion, well, he lured Robert McKelvey to the premises and ended up murdering him as part of a mafia-ordered hit. Gino Galestro had offered Young $8,000 to carry out the deed. All three individuals had ties to the Bonanno crime family. Both Young and Galestro were apprehended, charged, and brought to trial for their involvement in the incident. Both were convicted. Young received a life sentence, while Galestro was given 20 years to life behind bars. At the time, the mansion's owner, the Yamatovian Group, had no knowledge of the crime and were working on developing the property as an assisted living facility. In order to spare you the details of McKelvey's death, suffice to say it wasn't pretty. And with such a shocking crime having occurred at an already ancient and somewhat eerie-looking location, well, you can imagine what the reputation of said location might suffer as a result. The alleged activity you might experience at Chrysler Mansion began spreading in the years following the discovery of the mob killing on the property. The distant wailing of Edward Chrysler's widow, Frida, who was still mourning her husband after all these years, might be heard, for instance. Pots and pans might clank together, allegedly the result of the German cook spirit who died in the house's kitchen. A small boy may haunt the house which is said to be one of Balthazar Kreischer's children who did not live past childhood. He was only known as Henry. You may hear scratching noises coming from a closet, where the children were allegedly locked inside as punishment for misbehaving. You might also hear slamming doors, see pictures fly off the walls, or feel inexplicable cold spots, all hallmarks of a classic haunting. Can you tell me what the truth is? What is the line between fact and fiction if it exists at all? Did the reputation for the haunting exist before the mob murder, or did it only arise afterward? Would the alleged haunting be explained by one specific aspect of the house's history, or by more than that? The mystery surrounding these questions persists with mixed opinions on the matter. In a 2006 article by the New York Times discussing the unsealing of the young McKelvey Glaistro incident, it was noted that some residents believed the mansion to be haunted. However, in 2008, another reporter from the same news source interviewed a member of the Tottenville Historical Society, who dismissed any claims of ghostly activity as baloney. The ghost stories also start to feel a little flimsy when you dig deep. It's unclear why a ghost of a chef would bang pots and pans in the kitchen during the Kreischer's actual years of occupancy, as there's no evidence that a cook died in the house. 
Additionally, I don't understand why you'd be seeing the spirit of a child of Balthazar Kreischer, Edward and Charles's own father, who lived in a completely different manor home, in a house that didn't even exist when this child was alive. How about the rumors of Frida's wailing echoes throughout the house? Well, Frida remarried in 1895 and lived happily with her new husband until 1923, nearly 30 years after her first husband died. I'm not sure why she would return to Kreischer Mansion after her own death at the age of 66 and wail for her ex-husband's death who died after her... Uh, see? It just doesn't add up. Another point of contention is determining which of the brothers' mansions is still standing and which one had been demolished. Different sources claim conflicting information, with some stating that Charles's mansion remains while Edward's was destroyed and others claim the opposite. Some reports choose to remain neutral by simply saying that one mansion fell while the other survived. Yet these cannot agree on whether the destroyed mansion was demolished or burned down in a fire. Despite the fact that so many discrepancies have been weaved throughout the stories, I'm inclined to believe that the standing mansion still belongs to Edward. I would argue that the fact that there is some truth to the whole thing is a testament to memory's power. Today, Kreischer Mansion is still around, although it is a bit of a fading memory. In addition to being a shooting location for a number of notable productions such as Boardwalk Empire and Gotham, it has also been a haunted attraction for a few Halloween seasons, including 2015, 18, 21, and also this year for 2023. The property hosted a concert series in 2019 that showcased both local and national acts. The planned development for the property has not yet materialized, so the house has gone on and off the market a few times, like I said. Indeed, the more recent history of the Kreischer Mansion, the 2005 crime, the failed development, the fact that Isaac Antovian has been sitting on the property for decades without really doing anything with it suggests it's more cursed than haunted. There are fundamental differences between a haunted house and a cursed house. Haunted houses are about their pasts, but a curse reaches out into the future. There is always a promise of greatness, always hovering just over the horizon, waiting to break the curse. In a nutshell, hope. Hope makes all the difference. Will the Kreischer Mansion once again be the magnificent, opulent palace it was meant to be? Despite everything? Well, only time will tell. I am Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. <laughs>